welcome back to the show. Last episode, Courtney and I covered how to ground yourself in reality after coming to terms with your involvement in the drama triangle. But this time, we're talking about the ins and outs of the therapeutic network and what to avoid when looking for your perfect fit in a therapist. Stay tuned. Hello, hello, ma'am. Here we are again. We're back. Episode five. We made it to five. I'm pretty excited. I like, okay, this is going to, okay. I I like rounded numbers. Like I like numbers that are easily identifiable or like what you like. I like numbers that are easy to multiply and divide. Yes, exactly. They're, they're easy, like intervals. That's what I like. Um, and of those that are easy intervals, five is my favorite. (laughs) So yeah. Yay. Like not a big fan of two, you know, like it's fine. It's there, but yeah, not a big fan of prime numbers. Throw me a prime number and I am off kilter. Exactly. Prime numbers are wild. Speaking of prime numbers, I'm currently reading. I know I did this. Like I promise it connects somehow. Um, I'm currently reading contact by Carl Sagan which like, you know, there's a movie made, people know the movie, but it's a like- A movie made a long time ago with Jodie Foster and Matthew yes, McConaughey. Yes, and Matthew McConaughey, yes. I love that movie so much. <laughs> I've seen yes. it so many times. I did not know there was a book. Yeah. And normally yeah. I'm a like book before movie person. Yeah, oh yeah, hold on. A I bit of a hard ass back. about that. So am I. I'm like kind of annoying about it, honestly. Yeah, right here. Wow. Yep. Um. So these are all my tabs. This is where I'm at in it. Um, yeah, but the whole, you know, the message that they receive, the way that they first start decoding it is with prime numbers. They realize it's all prime numbers. That's so, right. That's um, right. See, I told you it connected. I um, did not remember that about the movie, though. <laughs> yep. It all connects. Just like a side note to that, um, the first time that I saw that movie mm-hmm. was I did a, a Bible study in grad school over the summer and we would watch a movie that maybe had some thematic themes <laughs> that's kind of like a thematic topic. themes right 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 thematic themes mm-hmm. um that related to like christianity mm-hmm. and that was one of the ones we watched we did the matrix and and contact and one other i can't remember the other one was oh that's so funny yeah. that's really funny because a, a big part at least in the novel i have no idea if it is in the movie. I'm under kind of like strict orders from a friend that I am not allowed to watch the movie until I have finished the book. So I would be friends with your friend. It's the same rule I have. And so I'm like, all right, that's fair enough. Like that'll be an easy one for me to follow. Except now I'm like, you told me I can't, so I wanna (laughs) I wanna watch Um, the movie first now. It's so not hard for do. us non-rule followers who have I know. I mean, we just Oh, it's a big problem. It's there's, a, there's pros and cons um, to us. There are. Ugh, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm going to respect the request mm-hmm. to not watch the movie. And I'm not going to. I am gonna, gonna finish the book. But a big part of the book is, you know, kind of like it's it's told from Ellie's viewpoint. So a big part of that is kind of trying to especially once the message is like publicly known, mm-hmm. try to like, you know, be able to, to understand and, and compute the, 
the science with everything that she's seeing, yeah. like specifically televangelists like say, and she's like, how, but that's not like, are, do you not hear mm-hmm. that math ain't math in? Yeah, that doesn't I love sense. it because she is very much like a scientist and yeah. has that kind of way of thinking. She's searching for truth like it's absolute. Yes. And I'm just going to throw in the drama triangle here as an ex- an analogy. It all comes because back. She does find the gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She finds um, that the rigidity in and of itself is yes not what's real. Yeah. Well, and that's also, you know what? That feeds into our topic that we're going to talk about, which we still have not mentioned. My bad. Today's Oops. episode, we are covering basically. How to find your right fit in a mental health professional and in, in professionals that work in this field in general. Um, and a lot of that is a gray area. Um, but a, a lot of people think it's kind of cookie cutter. It's very black and white. It's very one size fits all. And it's not. Um, it can be very difficult to find the right mental health professional, specifically a, a therapist. Um and there's there's a lot that kind of goes into that, into you know, vetting a therapist, into what signs to look out for, what red flags to look for, all of those things. Obviously, you are a mental health professional. We go over this every episode, it feels like. I think at this point, people who listen and listen consistently, they know who we are, they know our deal. You are a licensed clinical social worker. I am not. Makes for some really fun conversation. So that being said, you are a mental health professional your opinion from your perspective, working in the field and seeing things that the general public doesn't, what are your, like, what are your green flags? What are the things that you absolutely, you see that and you're like, yes, that's going to be a good person to work with. Um, well, yeah, I'm literally going to drop the curtain and you're going to see behind it, like the wizard of Oz style. I'm snacking again. (laughs) that's fine I snacked before the episode you know it's just right so when it comes to what to look for you know I'm gonna I want to I'm gonna tell our audience things that Google will not tell you okay this is an insider information Mm -hmm. you are getting um a backstage tour of the mental health profession okay so you've got your backstage passes like let's let's dive in so when let's speaking of Google or, you know, when you Google and looking for a therapist, usually you just know what you might not even know what your issue is. <laughs> you just know you need help. I didn't. I have no idea. Yeah. And then it's also hard because there's like lots of different terminology. Is it therapy? Is it counseling? Is it what's the difference between family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, like all this like what, you know, what we call insider language can be very confusing to the general public. Um, And so that's one big hurdle in general. But when I talk, when you ask about green flags, um, I'm just going to, you know, just give you a really broad stroke here. This, and this is a research-based broad stroke. The most important aspect of what we call a therapeutic relationship the relationship between a mental health provider and a client, you know, they could know all kinds of theories and they could have made perfect scores on their licensure exams 
But if the relationship doesn't feel right, it's not the right fit. So your number one green flag is your own intuition. Interesting. Is this is there chemistry, basically. Yeah, that's it. That's really interesting. It's, you know, it's so, okay. I also, later into the episode, remind me, I'm going to make a note because neither one of us is going to remember. I already know it. We're going to get off on a tangent. We're not going to remember. What? What are you um, saying? I'm forgetful? I live in a brain fog 98% of the time? What are you trying to say, Liv? Girl, I'm saying that I have ADHD and there's a nationwide Adderall shortage. I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard about that. I, I have what I call like motherhood induced ADHD. I read, I oh, nobody quote me on this. I would have to find it and vet my sources on it. But I did read that ADHD is one of those very, very weird conditions that with specifically like emotional or psychological trauma can develop as opposed to like if you even if you didn't have it in childhood that like under the right circumstances it put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that because that is a thousand percent true oh sweet I was right yeah no a plus um but on it I'll explain why cool um because that's kind of been a big question for me in in my journey alone because when I was a child I I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD as a child. I don't know if I had it and just didn't know the signs or if, you know, whatever, because it does present. Well, it presents very different. It presents Mm -hmm. very differently in females than males. And all of our research on symptoms are on males for the most part. Yeah. Isn't that so much fun? So a lot of females, a lot of younger girls, they they go undiagnosed for longer than um, males do. do typically. They sure do. So what my original thing that I was going to jot down was, is a lot of people don't know the difference between a psychiatrist versus a therapist. And they think they're kind of like one in the same or that you go to them. I used to see a psychiatrist. She, she was cool. She was fine. You know, she didn't like upset me or, or offend me or anything. She was great, but it definitely wasn't the same relationship I have with my therapist. Those are two very different things. And I kind of knew that going in, that it wasn't going to be exactly the same, but a lot mm-hmm. of people don't. So they'll end up seeing a psychiatrist, especially if they're on, you know, medications that are, you know, controlled substances or, you know, there's worries outside of just, just with medication in general, specific to substance abuse or addiction or whatever, you know, what have you there, they'll go in thinking like, oh, okay, this is a therapist who also can prescribe me medication. Yeah. That is not. Well, they're nice. They're supposed to be nice. nice. Yeah, they're they're still nice. Um, There's yeah. They definitely should be. Yeah. Yeah. Let's break it down real quick. So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. They have an MD after their name. So just Mm -hmm. like your um, your primary care physician has an MD against you know after their name, they all went to medical school, Mm -hmm. and they chose a specialty. And so a psychiatrist is a medical doctor who chose a specialty of basically what we call psychotropic drugs. Okay. So that a, a set of prescription and, and, and also just mental health in general, right. but how to treat mental health with the use of this category of medication that is specifically for addressing mental health issues. So no different than one that went to be like an endocrinologist that wants to 
okay. has the overall medical degree, but specialized in, you know, your endocrine system and might know more about the types of medication in that category of health. Okay. And that's what a psychiatrist is. So yeah, they understand mental health, but they also um, look at it through a medical lens. Yeah. Always. Yeah. For the most it part, is. I want to say always. It's, well, that, so, I mean, that at least was my experience. It wasn't very, yeah, so like, you'll get, you clinical. Get, like, your first, yeah, your first appointment would be called like a psychiatric evaluation, mm-hmm. um, which would probably be very similar to your first appointment with a different type of mental health provider. Um, but your following appointments are going to look a lot different because they're going to be more medication management. They yeah. usually only last about 15 minutes. Um, and it's just about making sure, you know, like, is this dose working? Is this the right fit for you? They're checking symptoms. Mm-hmm. So ideally, you if you want to have more of the emotional support, then you would seek out mental health therapy. And that can be provided by different types of qualifications. So the one that's most common to everyone that they understand is a psychologist. And beyond that, the general public, in my experience, is just like, well, it's either a psychologist or it's nobody. But that's not accurate. Right. So a psychologist, you know, they go to school, they get their master's in psychology, they get their doctorate, and they um, have, they focus a lot on diagnostic type things. Okay. So we have, when we diagnose people, um, the insurance companies require that we use the DSM-5, which we're on the fifth version now. Um, and, and so that's a lot, that's a real heavy part of their education um, and a lot of research too. Um, so it takes longer to become a psychologist. And even once you become a psychologist, in order to be licensed, which is what I'm going to talk about next, you've got to do more. Yeah, still got to keep going. Yeah. So in the state of Georgia, and this is similar across other states, is that they just like you can go to like a licensed hairdresser. Um, they got their little license thing usually posted and they have a state level board mm-hmm. that provides them licenses. Same thing with electricians, you know, all kinds of industries require licensure. And you can look them up and you can see if they're active. You can see if anyone's ever complained about them and it turned into something. So with licensed psychologists and other licensed mental health providers, we have our own board as well. And that gives us our license and there's different levels. So what's called an independent license means that you're at the level in terms of your degree, your experience, Um, and passing an exam that the state deems you completely independent to treat people. You don't need anyone looking over your shoulder. Okay. And you are set free to do whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Um, So to get to that stage, you need to have in my field of social work, it's a lot more specific because you have to have a master's of social work. Mm-hmm. Then you have to, you can get what's called a provisional license. Um, and so that's where you are able to start practicing, 
but under someone's supervision. You have to do so many hours of clinical work um, under that provisional license before you can get your independent license. So we have to take two exams. We take one for the provisional license and one for the clinical one after so many, it takes about two years in between. Um, same, very similar with another category, which is licensed professional counselors. However, there's a variety of master's degrees that you can have to qualify for that license. And it also has a provisional level typically in most states um, and they have their exams that they take. They, because they take a variety of um, master's degrees, they do, some folks have to take extra classes, but in general, like you can go to get a master's in something like clinical counseling, clinical mental health. There's a lot, there's a wide variety of master's degree in the counseling, in the generic counseling field um, that can qualify for that LPC. Whereas in social work, it has to be a master's in social work. Um, and then you can just have that master's and you may be operating, um, still providing counseling, but you're under a lot of supervision and you've got a ways to go to get licensed, basically. Right, right. Um, so all of those, once you're at the independent license level, in a lot of ways, we're all peers. Um, the state, I know in the state of Georgia, there's some nuances, like L there's things that LCSWs like me can do that LPCs can't. And a lot of that has to do with, there's so much variety in the master's program. Whereas in a master's of social work program, it's accredited. It's the same in every single school. Right. That's accredited. So it's easier to say, we know you took this class. We know yeah. that you know how to do this. So we're going right. to go ahead and grant you this independence just based on your master's and passing, you know, doing all right. the other things. Um, there's also licensed marriage and family therapist, which I don't know tons about, but um, I think they can practice independently too. Okay, so, interesting. I don't know tons about it. So let's kind of delve a little deeper into that, specifically the difference between what you do or, or what you have your degree in, which is obviously mm -hmm. a um, master's of social work, which is very cool. So let's talk about being a social worker versus being a therapist, because those are two different titles. And that, again, I think I think it, it just kind of is, it's part of just like, you know, secular language that when people talk about getting mental health, you know, seeking out a professional, they immediately go to like therapist, like yeah. go get a therapist. Whereas as you've just explained, there are a lot of different options there. And they all work in the mental health field. So let's focus specifically therapist versus social worker. What are the key differences there? Because I don't even know that. Oh my gosh. Well, you're about to I know. I should know that. So I'm like, you're about to, I know that? You're about to get me on my soapbox because I am ready. So biased towards the social work profession. I That's love right. being a social worker. And I'm... Uh, disclaimer, if you get offended and you're a therapist listening to this and you're not a social worker, just know I'm just coming from a place of love and bias towards my profession. I'm not trying to knock yours, but the, the social work, I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in social work. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because like literally last week I did career day at my kid's school. That's amazing. <laughs> and talk about what a social worker is. Cause I, so I got this, I got this down pat now after right. like four classes. So <laughs> Um, in the field of social work, we are very much, I'm not going to use the word cult, 
But like I said, there's a lot of consistency across mm-hmm. the board because of we have national accreditation, probably like global, I would even say, um, to even if a school wants to offer a bachelor or a master in social work, they got a lot of stuff they have to do to be able to do that and be an accredited institution. We also have our own code of ethics that we are governed by the National Association of Social Workers. We have lobbyists that lobby for us at the state level. Um, And social workers, I would say that just the Masters of Social Work in general is one of the most marketable degrees because you can really work anywhere um, because of the broad strokes that we learn about. So we learn about mental health, but we learn about complex societal problems. We're very heavy on research. Um, We also look at how federal, state, local policies affect a person. So we're taking a a huge broad stroke when we're doing any kind of assessment. Um, We're also very much into advocacy and social justice before it was cool. Um, (laughs) I like it. But, you know, we've been on the front lines of all that, even when no one was listening, because it's part of our ethical, our ethics, but also just with the classes I took and just the culture of the social work field, it becomes kind of like, um, it becomes like very intuitive. It becomes a part of who you are as a person. Right. Um, And what that comes from is kind of like a core set of values that we, everything that we do flow from. One of them is a concept called the person and environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that concept means like, you're not just a diagnosis. It's so many things and so many environmental levels as well as your brain chemistry that can contribute to whatever barrier you're experiencing in life and whatever form that takes. We also have something called unconditional positive regard. Um, and that's just core in our value system for everybody. So social workers work in jails, social workers work with child sexual abuse, abuse victims and child sexual abuse offenders, um, domestic violence victims and offenders. We are an equal opportunity um, field for helping somebody. Um, and so that's where that unconditional positive regard comes from. We also take what's called a strengths-based perspective So we're looking at the individual at what their strengths are and then helping them apply those strengths to the current barriers that they're dealing with. And that leads to the last one I'll talk about, even though there's more, is a concept called Mm self-determination. We're not here to tell you what you should do. We're here to help you get guide through the muck that's blocking you from understanding what intuitively what your path needs to be. Right. Um, and, and when we see injustice, we got to say something, you know, it really was that the advocacy part was really how I started um, the divorce resource center of Georgia, because it started with CNN injustice or like a gap. Yeah. Yeah. In child protection. Um, yeah. And I was like, well, it, I, it almost it didn't people, I get feedback and I appreciate it, but like, oh man, it's so awesome that you did that. And I, I look at them kind of dumbfounded because I'm like, I wouldn't have done anything different. No, it no, wasn't no. even like, should I do this? Yeah, there's no question. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it's, I, yeah. I have to. And that's kind of, it's, it's a thing that, you know, I talked um, 
in our staff meeting last week, I talked about how working with you and and doing all this has reignited a passion that I kind of forgot I had. Um, and specifically, it's it's that part of it. It's it's just this. It's like it's just in in my DNA and my blood. Like if I see an injustice, I don't know how to sit there and not do something and just not say something or try to help or or do any of this. I don't know how to do it. And there are times that that's gotten me in trouble, like, you know, with friends or, or family or coworkers or whatever. And it's so I had a conversation with my mom a few weeks ago, um, basically along those lines of, you know, you need to be careful because you never know what people are going to say. Like, even if you think you're doing the right thing, you never know what people are going to say. To which my response has always been, I don't care. I don't care what people say. If I know something bad is happening, I'm going to do what I can to stop it. I don't really care what my personal social standing, like, I don't care what that outcome is. That That's not the point of this for me. And it's like that, that focus alone really, really, really drives so much of of my passion for what it is that we do so it's I mean it's it's really cool to hear that that's something very specific to to social work that I did not you also want to make sure you're effective at implementing change so sometimes you Mm -hmm. have to work with people that you don't agree with that may even make you angry but to be effective in working towards change even if it's incremental Mm -hmm. then you know, I feel like my profession is also really good at, um, you know, the slow and steady race, you know, to get there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's just, I'm a big fan, big fan of my profession. Um, <laughs> but I have LPCs that work with me. So I appreciate all. But if you have, you know, if racial justice or any other kind of justice, is, social justice is important to you. You'll, if you see an LCSW for therapy, you'll already know that they probably get it just because yeah. that's part of our that training. Alone. It's yeah. part of our training. Um, but in general, what you can do if you're vetting other types of licensures, if you want to know a little bit more about the type of master's program that your LPC experienced, then just ask about that. That can be part of like your vetting questions. What master's program did you do? because there is a wider variety with those that can become LPCs. And again, the problem with this too, that makes it confusing to everybody, which I hope will be solved in the near future, is that every state does it different. Um, And COVID really taught us that we need to lessen some of our restrictions or we need to be more cohesive on licensures for mental health um, because it's we're not, especially with telehealth, like we're not necessarily going to the office anymore um, yeah. for a lot of people, but we have limitations on do, being able to do mental health across state lines. Like you have to go to that state and get licensed in that state. So there's a lot of work at the federal government level, a lot of um, advocacy, especially from the NASW to create something called an interstate compact mm-hmm. um, licensure opportunity so that you, you can have a type of licensure that's nationwide. Um, I'm just, I'm like 
anxiously awaiting that day. Yeah. So let's, let's talk specifically about telehealth. Um, there are some, there's, a, there's a whole like plethora of them now. I see ads for different ones all the time, but the one that I think is most common and, and the general public knows the most about is better help. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of pro stuff for better help. I've seen a lot of people saying, don't ever use them. I had this terrible experience. This is why they're not, you know, uh, they're not up to par. They're not up to the standard. Again, well, it kind of is a gray area. You could say that same thing about someone in individual practice too. So yeah, there's, there's going to be pros and cons. And when I say telehealth, I'm also referring to someone like me mm-hmm. who sees people in person, but also sees people virtually. Yep. But there's Most also these larger do. companies that have created like mass produced therapists for you to access. Yeah. They have a lot of guarantees. Um, and I don't know a lot about better health, to be honest. But what I do yeah. know is that a lot of those more like if they say, oh, we'll get you in. No problem. We got plenty of folks, plenty of therapists available. Well, that's just not accurate because we know the mental health is profession as a whole is slammed. Is, yeah, right? it is. So they don't have any kind of magic formula <laughs> that they figured out right. how to address the entire issue across the whole mental health professional of available therapists. I did right. tell you that I was podcasting from my bed, right? You did. You <laughs> okay. Do what you got to do. I'm, my um, legs are very cold. <laughs> This is casual. This is casual. It's, it's super casual. Just a chat between um, friends yeah, and coworkers. Yeah. Right. Um, so what I will say for some of those is that I would be more likely to think that that is a better match for someone who maybe has a short-term issue. Nothing chronic necessarily. Um, nothing too complicated. I mean, yeah. I know that I've, I've worked with a similar type company where I I asked them before, like, are, do you do trauma? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've literally sent someone to them and they're like, oh, that's too severe. Um, so there's some subjectivity <laughs> to how they interpret um, what types of issues and the severity. Right. So I would say the lower severity is, is fine for those types of platforms. Yeah. And you may not know your severity. Um, so I don't love... I I know that it wouldn't feel good to me if I made the brave decision to finally ask for help and be told that my problem's too hard for something. Yeah. Like that's going to be a barrier to me. So I don't love that. Um, And you don't, they don't, I don't know that they go into a lot of detail about the specific therapist that you might be working with beforehand. I don't know. I don't think they really do. Um, You know, from what I've seen, they kind of, promote this like it, what, what is it that they can say like if, if your therapist isn't a good match then you can switch at any time and it's like that kind of thing which does yeah. kind of like give this image of a revolving door of of therapists which well is, and there is an accurate. way in the whole profession so yeah um you know and I don't know what their credentials are required for their therapist no so and I just think that's a really important part because it's no different. Let's, let's, you know, like compare it to a dating app. Let's call let's pretend like psychologytoday.com is a dating app and you're reading these profiles and you're seeing these pictures. And sometimes the therapist will put little videos on there too. Um, I have a profile in psychology today 
And, um, and so it's a, it, I do recommend it for doing some initial vetting because you get a lot of information on the front end before you ever have to make a decision. Right. Um, and so you're going to see what insurance does they take. They're going to do like a little intro and it, it's almost like they're saying, this is who I am. And you might read it and be like, oh, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you read, you know, a dating app profile and be like, uh, no, exactly. you know, and you may have your own non-negotiables that are okay to have. And, you know, like if one of your dating app non-negotiables is if you're holding up a fish, I'm just going to swipe left. That's, That's fine. Mine. That's I can't lie. Right? That's one of my so, <laughs> therapists may be a great therapist, but they may have some little quirk or something that you read in there that you're like, oh, that's one of my non-negotiables. So yeah. you don't have to use them. And you know that ahead of time. Um, so that's a good resource. I would say the next step to do to vetting is also, um, you know, therapists, a lot of times will list their specialties. And if you see you, what you're looking for on their specialties, I would take it a step further and ask them how they came to have that specialty because there's there's no there's no oversight on what they click on what their specialties are or what they say um so I think it's completely appropriate as a therapist I would welcome that question you know back up what you're saying um that's a problem that I have with some therapists particularly in the divorce child custody field which we'll you know specify here shortly is that they may say that their specialty is divorce, but I have maybe gotten clients from them that I'm like, okay, what you did just created a mess that now I have to clean up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't know that as the consumer because you don't know the best practices you're not supposed to know. Um, so those are some things to do to, to vet. So I think it's important. I know that sometimes people can feel intimidated by doctors or other people in um, in a helping role. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, like I said, I believe in self-determination. So I would say that I would want someone to come in and not feel like I am in a position of authority over them. Like, yeah. I don't want your blind trust. I want to earn it. So asking those kinds of questions and doing a little vetting is very appropriate and it's probably more common than you think. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, We mentioned, by we, I mean you, um, we mentioned best practices, um, which we've talked about before. I want to specifically talk about credentials, but not in terms of the, the, you know, what degree do you have, that kind of thing. Mm We talk a lot on this podcast. It's kind of like what the whole thing is, like what our whole podcast is about, the drama triangle and how it's not something that's widely understood. And and what people think they understand about it is actually not totally accurate, which, you know, we talked about, you know, how you kind of have to factor in, you know, we've got three roles, except that the three roles are not necessarily based in reality they're based in somebody's perception and that somebody is probably the chaos core or it could be you and it's it's more complicated so it's not like there's just I was thinking about this a few days ago 
how I could like visualize it. It's not like there's just one triangle and that's it. It's like there's a triangle. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. Like, and they're all overlapping because it's all based on perception. All of it is based on perception, which can be like like a a triangle. It's like a triangle shaped double Ferris wheel. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So that being said, it's really important, especially if it's something that you're you're dealing with, if you're involved in a drama triangle and you want to get out, you don't know how you got there, you're really struggling, you are unfortunately experiencing psychological abuse, which is something we talked about in last week's episode. What what are you looking for there in a in a mental health professional and a therapist? I what you know, we say trauma informed. What does that mean? Well, let me back up a second, just because um, the mental health profession is not immune to getting sucked into the drama triangle. Um, it is actually sometimes the reason someone goes into the profession. And so I come across because, you know, if you want to help people, then you can easily be a rescuer. And depending on how rigid you see yourself in that role, you may be, you may be the chaos core and not know it. Yeah. And I know for, I have encountered therapists like that. And I wish that some of these licensure exams would check for it, but they don't, unfortunately. So yeah. you just got to go with your intuition. But there are some therapists that I've worked with in different settings. I will never send a client to them ever. And because I know that they are the chaos core in their lives and in their profession. So that's a scary thing. And I think that probably has a lot to do with with some people's bad experiences or negative experiences. So you want to just look for rigidity in your therapist too. You know, if they're not challenging you at all and they're just kind of like, yeah, oh my God, it's so awful. Oh my God. Yeah. For real. Like what a loser. They're not helping you. Even if all those things are true, then the focus is not on healing something within you. The focus is on pointing fingers. So just you can, once you know a little bit about the drama triangle and you're vetting someone, you can maybe even pick up some of that nuance. So unfortunately, it's just a natural, I mean, it's a side effect of most helping professions in general, not just therapists, that you may find some real drama triangle oriented people. Um, So you just want to watch out for that. Now, that's probably going to be somewhat more common with people who focus on treating trauma. And I've, I've kind of been one of those before, um, in all honesty. So full disclaimer, there was a time where I was the director of a child advocacy center and we did forensic interviews of children that were suspected to have experienced sexual abuse. And I was very vigilante back then, you know, not so much so that, yeah, not so much that I was getting off track, you know, professionally, but at the time it was okay because that was my lane. I didn't have to care about the people that were alleged offenders or proven offenders, they weren't my population. And so it was okay to just stay in my lane. But I remember when I first got into private practice, 
you know, my population was became very broad and it's, it's appropriate to choose who you work with and who you don't work with. If you know that you're not a good fit, like God bless adolescents, but at, at this stage in my life, I don't necessarily have the patience. I'm, I'm not a good fit with adolescents. So I either work with adults usually, or like itty bitties. Um, give right. me a three-year-old over a 17-year-old any day. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Lots of folks right. are the opposite and that's fine. You just learn what your, you know, what your specialty is, what you're good at. And so, and that changes across people's career too. There's a time I worked with all adolescents, but the trauma-informed lens, which is a way to say it, basically means that, and this goes back to your ADHD question, okay? Yeah. All right, so I'm about to answer it. Why there's this overlap between trauma experience and ADHD. It's kind of like sleep deprivation, okay? If you think okay. of how someone might act if they're sleep deprived, if you didn't factor in the fact that they're sleep deprived, you could probably like say you're having a brief psychotic episode, you know, or you have an, an anger problem. Right. You know? But if you put it together with sleep deprivation, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense why you're acting that way. It doesn't mean you have an anger problem. That means that you need to get take a nap. Right. Yeah. Means so, you're sleep deprived. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the same kind of thing with a trauma-informed lens basically means that trauma is like a, an, you have to check to see if it's present before you assume there's anything organically going on. Okay. Okay. So like on my intake paperwork, I check for trauma, whether a, a history of trauma, whether they said that was the reason they were coming or not. Same thing with substance abuse. I check universally for that, whether they said that's why they're coming because exact same thing, substance abuse and the effects that it has on a person's behavior and mental health presentation could be directly related to the active use of the substance, not necessarily something organic in the person. Right. And which came first, the chicken or the egg is um, something that is still being discussed in the substance abuse field. Right. It really doesn't matter. You just need to check for it. Um, and you need to substance abuse check for trauma, you know, like, and all goes down. So like historically children in foster care are way over medicated and over diagnosed with ADHD. Right. And we know now that, well, they've been traumatized. It's traumatic. Yes, absolutely. To be taken from your home, even for good reasons. And then maybe it was also traumatic what was happening in your home. It's going to look like ADHD, but it could very well be trauma symptoms. So there's a lot of overlap. So you want to check for that. And what we know now is that we have very specific protocols for treating trauma before you try to figure out what maybe was under the surface. You have to right. do it first. So that's one thing you want to look at when you're vetting a therapist um, is to, you know, kind of check if you know that you have a traumatic history or a trauma, you know, unresolved trauma in your life, but that doesn't get assessed or it's kind of glazed over and you go straight to, oh, you probably have ADHD, then that's a disservice to you because yeah. trauma 
does not get better on its own. No, it and doesn't. it does and not get better with time. No, it doesn't. And, and that's a thing that for me, at least again, this is, you know, I only know my own experiences and can speak from them, but you know, when I did, I saw my psychiatrist before I saw my therapist and mm-hmm. it's actually through my psychiatrist that I was introduced to my therapist. And that's because my therapist is, um, a psychologist. So there's, you know, I have a family history of bipolar. So there was some concern that, um, it's not ADHD that I have, that it's bipolar. And so my psychiatrist was like, let's, you know what, we're going to do a differential. We're going to do some differential testing. We're going to find out because those are two very different disorders. And those are two very different, you know, courses of treatment. So that's, I went to see the psychologist who is now my therapist. um, And we did that differential. And it was only through that differential that I actually got a definite answer on what was happening. And that was wild. Like even being able to figure out and it was in the, um, which I had wanted to, to start, you know, therapy, start seeing somebody, um, for that, for the emotional support aspect of it. Cause I knew I did need that as well. And still do. I go every week. I love it. <laughs> um, but you know, I didn't, I kind of just didn't know where to start. So yeah. It was in the um, our discussion of my differential results where, you know, she did tell me it is it based on these results. It's not bipolar. You do have ADHD. And I was like, cool. Um, what now? Yeah. <laughs> so she I mean, that's said, what the question everybody wants to know is that they, they want some concrete information. Yeah. They want some solutions. And so sometimes without that trauma informed lens or that more comprehensive type assessment, Mm -hmm. that's where you may find that you just feel like you're spinning your wheels or that you're in a hamster wheel. And it's just, you just kind of end up in this, it's, it's another cycle and life is full of cycles, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's in that, that in that discussion, I guess I had a, like a visible reaction to being told that it was ADHD and not bipolar Bipolar is a very stigmatized um, mental health, you know. Also um, overdiagnosed, in my opinion. Yes. Well, that. Oh, don't get me started on that tangent because I, I'll, I'll we will, we'll, we'll be here for six hours. Um, but um, you know, she, she saw that reaction. She said, "What? You know, what was that? Why? Why did mm-hmm. that happen?" And I kind of explained, you know, my family history of it and. Personally, my family history with bipolar, not awesome. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was it, it was a relief for me personally um, to, to be told that because it was something I was anxious about. So it was in her seeing that reaction, us having that conversation, that she realized that, yes, I do have ADHD, ADHD, there we go, um, but there is underlying trauma there that needs to be be worked on, be dealt with, kind of be processed through. And that was when she said, I, I have openings in my schedule. I'm currently taking clients. Do you, would you like to be put on my schedule? And I was like, absolutely. Because yeah, I already yeah. knew that I, I had a really solid bond. Well, with you had a couple of things working for you. One, you got a referral 
So that's also another way to find someone is ask your doctor, ask your psychiatrist, you know, ask like, who would you send your child to? Who would you go to? Um, And you had two providers that didn't rush to conclusions or make assumptions. Yes. You know, they didn't take, you know, oh, you've got a family history. Well, yeah, you probably do too. Yeah, it's probably my problem. You know, um, so you want someone that's going to take some time to figure out Right. And have a real true assessment process. So, right. and so let's put it, let's kind of sum this up for the green flags before we get to the red sure. flags, maybe. Um, but basically, you know, a good fit, you it's their job to make you feel comfortable and make you feel accepted in, in the therapy environment. Um, now just keep in mind, you can have a really good fit with a drama triangle therapist too, because they're going to make you feel great at yeah. first. So that in and of itself alone is not enough. Um, but then also just, you know, doing your own vetting, um, and asking questions. Um, most therapists will do a a free consult. Hey, I just want to find out if you're a good fit. Can I just chat with you? You know, like we do free consults for everyone that ask for that. Um, and you know, also when you go to the first session, if it does not feel right to you, don't go back their feelings will not be hurt. (laughs) Most of the time we are overloaded anyway. And so we're like, Oh, a break in our schedule, (laughs) you know, like schedule all, you know, so their feelings are not going to be hurt. Um, so, you know, just take those initial preventative steps and start there. Um, so then when it comes to some of the red flags to look for, um, that would also be, doing some of your own research about what's going on with you. Not that it's all going to be hundred percent accurate, but at least know a little bit about what your therapist should know about. Yes. So for example, I'm going to highlight the divorce child custody world because that's my niche. Um, that's what I, my, I know the most about. So in terms of being a mental health therapist, working in the divorce child custody field, it's basically, um, like a combination, it's a multidisciplinary environment. So I'm getting referrals from attorneys and, you know, sometimes I'm consulting with attorneys about things. So that I need to know about the law. I have to know about family law in order to say that I specialize that at a minimum. Right. So if you don't even, if you like, let's say your, your child is really struggling, um, you and your ex-partner, your co-parent are very high conflict and you want your child to see somebody. If they don't um, understand family law and the context in which your child lives and the decisions that are going to be made about your child, they are not a good fit. They could be the greatest child therapist on the planet, but if they don't understand the context of your world, yeah. if you're involved in litigation, that is contextual very consuming. Yeah. That would be a question to ask. The other thing is bias. So this is where I end up and this is where I will get a little fired up. I might get on my soapbox and we'll be here a while. That's I might right. use four letter words because this That's stuff pisses right. me off. It's okay. I have as listed as um containing adult content and <laughs> on everything. I, yeah, I don't want I just, to I knew that myself. we do all the time, but no. sometimes we just get passionate. And I knew myself that it, the situation. it might yeah, slip and I might not even catch it. So, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, 
one thing that we're real careful about is we don't want the child to see us as biased. Because here's what I know about children. After years and years in foster care and working with kids who had been removed from their home, could be horrific circumstances. They still love and miss their parent or their parents. What they want is for the abuse to stop. They just like, if you'll just stop doing this one thing, we'll be cool. You know, that's all they want. But they, these parents can do like egregious, horrible things and their child still wants to go back home. Ironically, we tend to see less of that in the child custody world. And that's how I know when there may be some um, alienation going on, right. parental alienation, which is not a syndrome. Oh my gosh. I know I said that word and somebody's going to be like, that's not a real thing. It is a real thing. Just like chocolate covered donuts is a real thing. It's just <laughs> a thing <laughs> that can happen. Right. Right. It's got ingredients, you know, it okay. happens just happens like don't tell me it's not a thing Um, (laughs) no it's not a diagnosis but neither is donut addiction okay it's just yeah it's just a thing it just happens okay so moving on from that because that pisses me off too all right so if you are going to a therapist for your child and they only take into account what you say they don't reach out to the other parent right to hear their perspective on the child, then you automatically know that there's some bias here and your child is going to pick up on that bias. We're so strict at our center that we pretty much require parents to take turns. I mean, we only have so much control over that, but we literally want the child to see us go out to the waiting room and have a friendly exchange with both parents. It's very intentional, you know, We want them to see that it doesn't matter what mom said about dad or what dad said about mom or what mom said about mom or what dad said Mm -hmm. about dad. It does not matter. This is neutral ground. This is neutral grounds. We're very protective of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a situation right now where it's just done so much damage to children. And in terms of like a trauma informed lens, this person, this particular therapist says they're trauma informed but literally their only source of information was the child and, and biased grandparents who want to take the child away from their parent. And it's like, wait, you're trying to say that you're, you have the most accurate knowledge about what this child needs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with that right there. Right. Um, and so that's also something it has, hasn't happened in Georgia yet, but in, I know there's cases in Texas where therapists are starting to be held liable for like malpractice and they're being actually accused of con- doing the parental alienation because they never involved the other parent in the therapy and gave them a chance. So Texas is starting to take it real seriously. Um, and I foresee that becoming more common. Yeah. Yeah. So just looking for some, so if they know their stuff, because here's the thing, when I go to, when I get called to court to testify on behalf of a child in the role of a child therapist, if I go there and I've only talked with one parent, my credibility is gone. Yeah. What I'm saying about the child could be accurate, but nobody's going to hear it. I've lost my opportunity to advocate for that child. 
So it's just more protective for your child in general in their best interest that there's a lack of bias because from the child's perspective, remember, whatever's happening in the world, if you're not helping both parents, then you're not helping the child, right. in my opinion. Um, so just like having that involved in and of itself, I think is very crucial in the vetting, particularly for someone who is working with children. Um, another thing to look for with a therapist in this particular field is like, we have a mothership. We have an organization that pretty much has set the best practice standards for the intersection of mental health and family law. And here's a great way to vet a therapist. Ask them if they've ever heard of it. And the organization is the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. It's afccnet.org. And if they have not heard of that, then your response should be thanks, but no thanks. Because that means that they don't know the best practices. And it'd be even better if they were, if it would be even better if they're a member, they should be a member. It costs literally $160 a year. That's it. To join this organization. And their training is amazing. I mean, it's just, there's just a plethora of all kinds of trainings. I could literally like do it all day long, every day. just because it's so meaty and so good and it's very affordable. So there is no reason if someone says they specialize in this, if they don't know about the organization, they do not specialize in this period. Period. That's my opinion. That's amazing. That sounds like a really yeah. solid and uh, yeah. like so a it's a very concrete kind of like so. measuring, you know, measure things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm a, I'm a hardliner on that. There's, uh, there's very few things that I'm a hardliner about. This just happens to be one of them because it's so easy to mess things up if you don't know. So like, even when I bring yeah. on like experienced therapists who've never worked in this field, I have to teach them to unlearn some things because traditional therapy is fine and effective. But if you don't know the extras when there's, you know, family court involved, then your normal way of doing things will actually cause problems. Right. Yeah. And create messes. So, right. yeah, look, don't, I mean, I hope people don't see me as like, you know, being too extreme on this. I'm not an extreme person. Literally knowing about AFCC, the clothes facing the same direction and all my clothes facing the same direction in my closet. <laughs> And my, <laughs> people, when they use my play therapy room, that they put things back where they belong. That's it. Those are the only hard lines Those are I have three in things. life. Yeah. It's the there only things go. that I don't, there's no middle ground for me. It's just three things. Come on. It's so easy. Yeah. It's three things. Yeah. So just consider the source. Like I am, I'm the middle ground. Like you really are. percent of the time. <laughs> like uh, somebody that like works for you. Yeah, you are. You're very just. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right. Yeah. Just yeah, hang out in the middle of the road. Like I uh, aim hang for out. the equilibrium. Yeah. Except in these three categories. I think those are fair categories to uh feel I could that always way. tell I could always tell my roommates in college borrow my clothes because they would put them back facing a different direction. Oh, that would oh I couldn't do it. My my closet is color coded. So it's 
and it's organized by sleeve length. Oh, mine is too. Yes. It's not it's color the, coordinated, it's it's not color it. coordinated, but it's organized by sleeve length. Thousand yeah. percent. It's color yeah. coordinated. I just, I don't know. That's just like a personal thing for me because sometimes I will. Wait, like, but if you have like a purple tank top and a purple three quarter length sleeve, they're in separate sections though. Yeah. So it's it, the way, the way that I do it, right. Is I'll have like tank tops and those are color coded. So red right. through black color coded and then it moves to short sleeves red through black color coded long sleeves red through black yeah what do you do with print so for a while I've done it a couple different ways for a while there (laughs) I had I it's like my closet it's a thing that I redo like over and over to try and find the perfect like flow for it you're looking for equilibrium too I'm looking for the equilibrium exactly (laughs) just in my wardrobe um but it's for okay like well, the way I have it right now is whatever the predominant color in the print is so if oh, it has like yep then that's what it goes into for a oh, while I, get this. I, I totally this. know why you do this this is your retail experience talking it is it is yeah this is retail. Is. Experience. so much of it is retail experience and then yeah, yeah part of that because I did work in retail for so long thank god I'm out <laughs> I'm so happy I'm so happy. Um, but so much of that is like there would be specific like color schemes for, you know, that like season of merchandise that they were sending out. And so then I would have to think of everything through that specific color lens. So now I wake up sometimes and I'm like, you know what? We're feeling cool tones. And then it's like my eye can just go directly to it. I don't have to like okay. hunt through. Okay. It's like, and then yeah. boom, they're right there. I got them. Oh, and it I makes think it that so like probably creates like that, having that be simplified and organized probably like just creates peace for you. Yes. Very there much so. Very um, much so. so I mentioned play therapy. So I do want to like explain the difference about what that yes. is. Yeah. Um, play therapy is super, super fascinating. I love it. Um, it is two things. Mm-hmm. It is a type of therapy. And it is a type of therapist and oh, okay. there's crossover. It's like a Venn diagram. You can have a therapist, a child therapist that is a registered play therapist. That's RPT is after their name. So they provide play therapy, but you can also be trained in play therapy as a technique and still provide it. But the unspoken rule is that you can't call yourself a play therapist if you are not an RPT. So I never call myself a play therapist. I say I provide play therapy. Well, oh, your jaw cool. is like hanging off. Yeah, I didn't know that. I like yeah. I love doing this because yeah. I learned so much. Yeah. I learned so and much. play therapy is not just for little kids. You know, it's also, I mean, I, I could talk about that all day too, but you can go to um the American Association of Play Therapy and like mm-hmm. learn about it, but it is just, it's fascinating. It's great for, um, and it, it's different. There's just differences to it. Like yeah. I can't even go into it, but go, go research that. It's very effective. Sure. Um, and especially like if you can treat kids a lot, a lot younger. Um, and it's great for trauma work too, because they're basically, if they don't have the language to work through the trauma, then because we're, you know, playrooms are set up very strategically, 
with certain types of toys that fall into certain categories. So we have like what's called nurturing toys. So that would be a little kitchen, a baby doll, um, a doctor kit. Then we might have what we call like aggression. So we'll have like, I have some foam swords or like a, a scary, like grumpy looking and, you know, like character um, and, you know, different kinds of things. A lot of play therapy rooms also have like a toy gun and handcuffs because kids witness their parents get arrested, you know, kids witness yeah. shootings. So we, they have to be able to work through it. And so they can work because play is their language. Right. So they're working through the issues through the play and it's very fascinating um so that's just a little nuance there um so but people can do child work with children and not do play therapy I would be I would question that a little bit honestly yeah. like as a parent I know like when my daughter was going through some, some transitional issues at five I specifically was looking for someone that provided play therapy um yeah. even as like teenagers you know Nobody under the age of 18 likes to sit and talk, honestly. <laughs> and I'm talk 24 therapy, and I don't like to just sit and talk. <laughs> talk therapy is just one form of therapy. There's lots of other forms. So yeah, just in terms of that, um, there's even more nuances there that we could go on forever with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you've got some resources. Like I said, um, Psychology Today is a good one because there's a lot of detailed profile information and you can look up in your city. Um, you know, telehealth, you, we can do telehealth with children. You can do, um, we also provide parent coordination. So that's another service that falls under the intersection of mental health and family court. Um, and you want to, in Georgia, there's no, license for that. There's no certification for that. So there's really just, you know, if somebody says they do parent coordination, I would say, ask these same questions. Well, how did you get trained in this? What kind of training did you take? Yeah. Um, and some of them, you know, how often, especially with parent coordination, I will really say if they don't have some kind of relationship with AFCC, whether it's they've taken, yeah. have you taken yeah. some trainings there? Have you been to a conference? Are you a member? Do you ever use it in your practice? If they say no to all those, run and run fast. And I yeah. will tell you that I've had, I've gotten some parent coordination um, cases where I'm like the third parent coordinator and I'm the one that finally is able to help them. Yeah. Because they've had such bad experiences. I had one recently tell me that the parent coordinator told them, told mom. Oh, I know the story. Like, but both of them were volunteering at, yep. at baseball practice one day and they're high conflict and I, one of them acted out and it wasn't the one that was it I mean I'll just it wasn't it wasn't the mom it was the dad so to solve that issue the parent coordinator told the mom like we don't belong you don't belong on the baseball field in the first place you belong in the kitchen true story that comment that That, and, uh, yeah. And yeah. I felt so bad because, so also just when you think about what is your emotional reaction to the advice you're getting, it's, oh, it's normal to feel some discomfort Yeah, because your therapist's job is to push you from, get you away from what's called defense mechanisms. 
which are things like avoidance, blaming others, minimizing, projecting onto others, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to push you past that. It's going to feel a little uncomfortable. But if you are feeling like a sense of shame rising up, or it is like, this is against everything I've ever learned, then trust that, please trust that. Trust that. And it's, it's that specifically that you just mentioned the shame, the feeling like this is, you know, this is going against everything that I've learned up to that point. It's, it's that, but it also specifically is if you are walking into sessions with your therapist, with your counselor, with your mental health professional, with whoever it is you're seeing, and you feel like you have to start immediately, you're on the defensive. Like, you know, this is going to be a battle to be heard. Run. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, it's your therapist's job to work with you in such a way to reduce your defensiveness because the defensiveness is a barrier. Yes. We're not there to create barriers. No. So if you're, if, if the style of your therapist increases that feeling consistently, I wouldn't say just one time, I would just be like, if you see a pattern. Yes. Yeah. yeah, That's definitely definitely. a a pattern thing. I mean, there there are absolutely times that my therapist is, oh man, I'll never forget. This was like the thing she said when it really like, I was like, oh, okay. This is like, for sure. We're gonna, all right. This is a good match. This is a good fit. Mm -hmm. I had explained a lot of, you know, we've talked a lot about um, the drama triangle, obviously, and how that can kind of present with like people pleasing or like fawn response. Right. I am the poster child for the fawn response. Like that's mm-hmm. just, that is, that's me. That's what I do yeah. most of the time. Um, hi, I'm the flight response. Nice to hi. meet you. Hi. <laughs> so nice to meet you. Yeah. Now we just need to get the other ones. Let's, let's yeah. find a freeze. We need to get a freeze on here. We need to get a yeah, fight. I'm on a here. freeze too. I'm a good freeze. Mm-hmm. See, it's yeah. so funny because I, I normally am fawn or fight. Like those are the two that I go yeah. between, which seems very contradictory and I don't understand it either. So well, here's a little tidbit. I think I told you this before, but we actually are not necessarily a type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it depends. It's situational, and it's like brain okay, is going working. to choose yep. the one that you're going to be most successful at. Yep, yep. So if you're just naturally a charming person, like you are, your brain's probably <laughs> going to consistently choose fun. Like Hi. Liv has got this. She she's, got it. Don't worry about it. Pull the wool over this person. She, she real Don't fast. worry about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it's but it's exactly that. It's it's the charming. It's the the wanting mm-hmm. to kind of stay in that like. Yeah. More positive, yeah. light hearted that led me to some, some pretty like significant issues, communication issues with my best friend who I love dearly and would do anything for her. Her name's Liz. You know, Liz, nobody yeah, else is going to know Liz. Yeah. You know, best friend Liz. Um, that's probably going to happen here yeah. where I'm going to go my best friend, Liz. <laughs> like, yeah, we know. Um, no, like her first name is best, best friend. friend. Yeah, last yeah. name is Liz. And- Liz. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Best friendless. Um, but it led to it led to a lot of issues between me and her where, you know, she had done something that hurt my feelings that I had an issue with. And I would be 
you know, quiet, I'd be standoffish, I'd be passive aggressive, because in my mind, like, okay, these are all indicators that you've done something wrong. So you need, so now you need to rectify it. I never told her that I was upset. I never said that. And it was, it was me explaining that, not that, that I hadn't said it part, just like, oh, well, these are all the different times that, you know, she's done something and I've obviously been upset and she hasn't done anything to fix it, that my therapist stopped and looked at me and said, did you tell her that? And I said, what? (laughs) She said, did you tell her that? Did you, did you you have to ask for what you need? You have to tell someone you cannot just walk through the world expecting that people can read your mind and are always going to yes. understand your body language. Like yeah. that's not a way to communicate. That's a that big like, misperception. Yep. Is especially like in marriages and stuff. Like you should know. No, you should you have know. to ask. We are uh, not mind readers. Don't We're get me started on, on the entire you should know concept that's like i have i have such a massive issue it's complete bullshit it's bullshit and it's, it's i have this hogwash it's so like just bananas and fried baloney like, <laughs> there's this trend and i see it all the time on tiktok right now where they're like they're like ladies if you wanted to he would and i'm like does he even know you want that? I know. Ask like, what are him. you talking about? I know. It's so dumb. Does he know um, that you're expecting that? And that goes for anyone, yeah. for any partner. If your partner does, have you told them that is an expectation you have? No. Do not assume that they know. Right. You but I will say, if you have to ask over and over again, then you do have a problem. Yes. Once it becomes like a repeated, you're every single time. Yeah, it's this all is about a conversation you have to have. Yeah. yeah. It's about patterns. It's about yeah. patterns. I I thought of something. I wanted to say it before I forget. Yes. Um, But one other kind of like red flag, um, it can happen in like a co-parenting parent coordination session. It can also happen in like marriage counseling is the therapist allowing um, verbally abusive behavior to occur in session. Yes. So, you know, I actually do a lot of my parent coordination on Zoom so I can mute people. Yes. So if they, if I feel like, you know, I've given you a warning, I've told you before this even started, if I think that your behavior is getting verbally abusive, I will mute you because I'm very protective of everyone in the room. Um, And so sometimes that can just go on for too long. It can. It's, it's a thing. And that's where, you know, you've heard horror stories. I've heard horror stories with that specifically where it's like, you know, for, uh, I'm not a mental health professional. I give that disclaimer every mm-hmm. single episode and continuously throughout. I have been, you know, on a lot of different sides of this. And just in my opinion, based on my own experiences and my own, you know, witnessing, when you are a mental health professional, when you are a therapist or social worker, when you're any of these things, you are a professional but it you are you're literally the mediator so if you're going to be in this situation you're putting yourself in this role of the mediator of the professional of like the you know I I don't want to use the word authority but that's what came to mind like the quote-unquote authority in the room you're the protector like you're you're literally of the, the mental health <laughs> it's your job 
to prioritize that and not yeah. prioritize, you know, making sure that everybody says exactly what they want all the time. It doesn't right. matter if, yes, if a person true. in that situation is being, you know, verbally aggressive, if they're being accusatory, if, if they're being these mm-hmm. things that are only going to increase conflict and, yeah. and decrease any kind of chance of a resolution, it's your job to step in and say, we, we're not going to do that right now. Let's, let's figure something else out or let's take a break. Let's yeah. pause. We'll put a pin in that. We'll come back. Like, let's take a mm-hmm. moment to, to calm down and regulate. That's your job. And if that's not something that right. you're willing to do in those situations, mm-hmm. you don't need to be in those situations. Right. And I actually, when I do parent coordination, cause they're coming to me because they, they basically need a referee. Yeah. I'm, they never come together right away, ever, 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 ever. No. So I do a lot of education one-on-one concurrent with the parties because I'm letting them know, here's the expectations of what a joint session is going to look like. And if you don't follow these expectations, here's what's going to happen. Yep. yep. So that prep work ahead of time is really is important. a big deal too. It's really important. You know? Would you say, again, in your professional opinion, would you say that you know, uh, anyone who's doing co-parenting, marriage counseling, joint sessions, anything like that, if they're unwilling to meet one-on-one or, or if that's not something that is even like mentioned to be on the table, if it's not, you know, like you do it, obviously I work for you. So I know you do it well beforehand. Like that's, you're like, now we're going to do one-on-one sessions first Mm -hmm. and then we'll worry about joint sessions. If that kind of mindset is not the way that they they're kind of coming at this would mm-hmm. you consider that a red flag or even just like a yellow flag like a maybe well a lot of times when that does happen I my mind immediately goes to power and control dynamics oh. um, and I worry about you know is this a intimate partner violence situation where they don't want to they don't want one party to have that one-on-one time with me because they okay. want to control the narrative um, and so that's actually where my mind goes when that is requested or when it's insisted upon. And, you know, I'll explain to them the reasons why I do it that way. And ultimately it may come, if they're very insistent it may come down, well, then I'm not the best fit for you. Right. I didn't even, I had not even considered that, that it might be yeah. the clients being insistent because one person wants to control a narrative or there is, mm-hmm. you know, some, some partner violence happening there. I yeah. didn't even I mean, consider that. Yeah, I mean, that's where my mind goes to. Um, we've had that situation when, so when parents are divorced or separated, we also do parent intakes before we see the children. Yeah. And those are always separate. And then a lot of times, um, some of the parties will be like, oh, we're fine to meet together. And even if I think they would be fine, I still don't do it because I feel like, you know, if you're at the stage of separation and divorce where your child needs counseling, yeah. then there's tension there. And yes, for me, tension is going a, on. Tension is a barrier for me getting access to the kind of information that I need right. at that intake. So I'm also doing it for myself. Like, no, I don't want your tension in my room. I want you to be able to feel very comfortable to say whatever you want. Um, yeah. so I still insist on doing it separate. Which I think is, you know, I mean, that's just again, I'm not a professional, but in my opinion, you know, mm-hmm. kudos to you for that because I do think it helps. It helps. Well, and I just have a personal trust experience too. 
from personal experience, um, my ex and I did, when we took our daughter to therapy, the intake we did together. And I remember like, you know, I was saying what I want to say. We're, we weren't going to like fight or be crazy or anything. Right. You know, just even like some of the things that when he was sharing, I'm just, I mean, if she saw my facial expressions, I'd be like, <laughs> what? <You know? laughs> For those that are just listening, you didn't, you didn't see the facial expressions. It was kind of like a WTF. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of just, what? <laughs> Say it again, huh? Like what? Um, what planet are you yeah. on? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. So there's all those kind of nuances that just might get in the way of, you know, getting some good information. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anything else, you know, but I really just think that, you know, I tell this to people who are also maybe like unsatisfied with their attorneys too. Like your attorney works for you. Yeah. You hired them. Yeah. Your therapist works for you. You hired them. Your landscaper works for you. If they kill your grass, you are not going to hesitate to be like, don't come back. Like, I'm going with someone new. Yeah. You're in a vulnerable state. So you may feel like you need to acquiesce to this person's expertise, but you are the expert of your own life. And so that's my main message message to folks is you are hiring this person for a job. So treat it like you are in the position of authority. Right. Right. So last little thing that we mentioned before we started recording in our uh, little debrief that I thought was interesting. And honestly, I'm just really curious about. So we had talked about how to vet a therapist. We've, we've gone over that pretty extensively. I personally think we did a great job. The thing we had mentioned kind of as like an asterisk that I think is really interesting is you had said there are reasons why a therapist might, because I, I had talked about, I've seen like TikToks of people being like, I had an appointment with my therapist. I was not told this was canceled. Like I showed up and like, I've been ghosted. My therapist ghosted me. And they were like, oh, no, there's, there's a specific reason they might have done that. And I was like, oh, yeah. so what yeah. is it? I want to know. I'm curious. So if someone's in solo private practice, yeah. They, as the therapist, they are also the receptionist. They are the right. biller. They are the scheduler. They are the marketer. Mm-hmm. They wear all the hats and they're also seeing clients all day. Um, so when people are in individual solo practices like that, you may want to further vet them by asking them what kind of support systems they have. And if they say none, I'm trying to do everything myself, been there, done that. Um, They're not at a great place in terms of their ability to provide quality customer service. Right. And that's what this is. I mean, that's. Yeah. If it's customer service issues because the infrastructure is not there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that, I mean, honestly, that sounds like it would be another red flag there is that yeah I mean I would say that I know like 
not necessarily a red flag, but they may still be a really good therapist, but just they, it's a very different hat to be a business owner Mm -hmm. too. And that was a huge, I know that was a huge learning curve for me. And so I would say it also depends on your preference, you know, like what your need is for the level of customer service, how flexible you are. Right. So for example, someone who says my therapist ghosted me, I'm going to imagine they didn't try to call back again themselves. They just waited, but emails get missed. Voicemails get missed when you are trying to do all the things when you're a one man or one woman show. So they didn't really ghost you. You just fell through the cracks and there's, there's nothing wrong with trying again, but if that's an issue for you, then go somewhere else where there's more, maybe like a group practice or there's more infrastructure in place. Yeah. Definitely. All right. That's interesting. I'm glad I asked. Glad I remembered to ask that. Yeah. A little Look, I'll just, things. I'll confess. I'll just share this example one time. Okay. Right. Time first doing private practice. I had a, a, um, just like a paper and pencil calendar to keep my appointments. And it was just me. No one else was doing, I was doing everything. I was also the mom of two and the primary caregiver of everything. And I forgot to write something down, a, an appointment that I made. And I'd never forget the moment I had gone home. I was sitting on my screened in porch and I was in the most like Zen state. I'm like, oh, I'm on my, my porch swing. I finally have like nothing to do. Like, this is just a great feeling. And now I know when I have that feeling that that is danger. Because that means I've forgotten I've forgotten something. something. Mm-hmm. I know the feeling well. And sure enough, my I get it. My phone rang, and it was like, "Oh crap!" Somebody was at the office waiting for me. Yeah, it's kind of That's scary. That's why I have like six different alarm systems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have so, multiple you know, alarm systems. People are human. <laughs> A therapist can be great at doing therapy. They could be, have all the green flags that we talked about, but they just don't have the infrastructure in place. And it really is just like, what's a good fit for you? What do you need the most? I mean, it happens. It's like Mm -hmm. you said, people fall through the cracks and human error. Yeah. Human error. Oh, there's a quote. Oh, what is it? I can't remember it. If I, I'm, I'm going to remember it like as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to be so irritated. <laughs> I'll put it, I'll put it in the, the notes, but yeah. the quote is essentially it's the gist of it is basically like, don't, don't immediately assume that somebody had, or that something was done with bad intentions when it could just be human well, error. It could just, well, and it's no different that like 99% of the times that you're offended by somebody and what they did or didn't do, it had nothing to do with you. Nothing. Mm-mm. nothing at all their own limitation yeah and that just yeah. is what it is mm-hmm. all right I think we're at a really good place to wrap this one up we've we've covered a lot of ground we covered a lot of ground I'm over here looking at my little list of, of our topics we covered a lot of ground <laughs> so that is a great time to remind people that you're welcome to send questions in, send them to our email, send them, you know, to any of our social media. That's totally fine. Um, I want us to get into, you know, kind of a, uh, have a little segment there at the end where we're, we are answering questions. So 
in order to do that, we have to first receive questions. So if there's anything we mentioned in this episode or any of the previous four, feel free, feel free to send in those questions. And um, I'm going to send them to Courtney because I'm not a professional. So Courtney will do her best to answer those questions. (laughs) And I'm going to sit here and learn right along with you. Courtney, anything else you want to add before we uh, head out? You know, I wish that this profession ran really smoothly um, because I feel like it is such a brave decision for someone to pick up the phone and make that first call, send that first email. I mean, a lot of times you're at your your lowest point at that moment. And so just kudos to you for doing that. Um, But just keep in mind that whatever hiccup may happen along the way is not about you. Um, And it's okay to do a little homework before you pick up that phone call, you know, before you make that call, because, you know, this is about you and and you're the most important person in this equation. So, you know, just prioritize that. Prioritize that. Remember going into, going into this, that it's not easy. Um, It's not an easy decision to make, you know, like you just said, Courtney, it's, it's very rare that um, when you do finally take that step to get help um that it's because everything great is going on in your life and things are just just peachy keen um but it's also important to remember that in that you do you do still really need to practice self-compassion and self-advocacy in those moments when it's hard and something feels wrong and the alarm bells are ringing and it's something in your gut is saying no it's okay to listen to it. It's okay yeah. to listen to it. So Absolutely. advocate for yourself. That's really, really important um, in all aspects of your life, but definitely when you're, it's coming to, you know, somebody that you're going to, to get help to, to get better. Yeah. So yeah. yes, wonderful. We are coming up on an hour and a half recording time so we got a long oh my gosh we got a long one Um, time flies when you're having fun it really does like it really does I think this is actually like our longest episode that we've recorded yeah it is an hour and a half normally we average about 40 minutes yeah yeah so I need to cut this one in two parts (laughs) (laughs) I'll see what I can do but okay okay (laughs) I'll know all right so Everybody knows where to find us. I have my little outro that I put at the end. So all of them will be listed there if you're just hopping in the feed. Uh, first time for this one. This is a good episode to kind of pop in. And if you want to get a taste and you're not really sure, now you've got episodes to catch up on. So we will be back next week. And we'll uh, we'll chat some more then. Okay. All right. Then. Actually, <laughs> see you tomorrow. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Perfect. Audio is done recording. Hey, it's Liv. Thanks for listening. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on social media to keep up with all the behind the scenes of the podcast as well as some awesome bonus material from me and Courtney about what it is we do when we're not recording. You can find us at KDD underscore pod on Instagram, no divorce pod on Twitter, no divorce drama on TikTok, 
and just search No Divorce Drama, the podcast on Facebook. See you there.